0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And these these chapters hold specific significance for the season that we are in. Because there are three different, I guess, expressed references to Messiah coming down. In chapter number 8, Uh, or chapter number 7, rather, it was the prophecy, the sign. Uh, God's going to give a sign to you. Remember, Isaiah brings it to the king of Judah and says, hey, God says for you to ask for a sign. God is ready to prove himself. Ask for a sign, and God's going to give it. And he rejected because he would not even allow God voice into his life. Amen. And so, but God says, I'm still going to give a sign. And he did give a sign, a sign not just for that king. God says, you don't want it, but I'm going to give a sign to the people of God wherever they are, whoever they are, whenever they are. So when God says a word, it's not just always for that day. Sometimes it may be for a hundred years from now. It may be from a thousand years from now, but the word of God is true. It stands forever. And so, and then uh, that was, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And you'll call his name Emmanuel. In chapter 8, twice that's referenced. And we know that it is God with us. And now we come to chapter 9. And we began, I won't cover it uh, again, but we begin with chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. That's where we ended last week. And God gives, through the prophet Isaiah, a specific prophecy to the children of God in the land of Israel, and, and I love the specifics. There's, there's no way that man could create this because you have several different prophets prophesying different things, and yet all of the details come together together. And they are fulfilled with exacting uh, uh, truth. And this is something that man could not orchestrate, but God did it. And so in chapter 9, 1 through 5, he tells them the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. He says, that place where I afflicted, by Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee, beyond Jordan. He said, the people that sat in darkness hath seen a great light. And he was talking about this after the darkness in chapter 8 that he said that's going to cover them. He said, they have seen a great light. Now one thing I want to highlight, I don't know if I highlighted last week, is that Isaiah does something very unique. And we'll see this later on. He's the mouthpiece of God speaking on behalf of the Lord as the Lord, proclaiming this truth, and he says things that have not happened yet, as if they have already happened. He does this. And here's one of those places. The people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Do you see that? Here it is. Let's look at verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen, past tense, a great light. Now he does this later on, this is not in our study, but he does this later on when he's talking about the work that Messiah is going to do upon the cross, and he says he was wounded for our transgressions. He hasn't even been born yet. <laughs> he hasn't even come down and manifest in that form yet. The incarnation has not yet taken place yet, and Isaiah's writing about the ministry that he's going to do as if it's already happened. He's writing about it as if it's past tense. And where Isaiah is living, he's saying, hey, I'm putting my faith today in what God is doing. Now, you can come and say, well, hey, Isaiah, it hasn't happened yet. But Isaiah knew, hey, he's not just a God that's bound by time like you and me. He's a God that's above time and beyond time. And when God sets forth to do something, it's already done, even if it hasn't happened yet. But I can put my faith and my trust in it. Now that ought to give you hope. That ought to give me hope when I'm in a predicament or a situation and I bring it to the Lord and I say, Lord, hear my prayer. I'm going to entrust my life to you. I'm going to give my life to you. I need you to work on my behalf. And all of a sudden, I I see a word from the Lord I hear a voice of the Lord the spirit of the Lord leads me gives me a peace and assurance I can take it to the bank amen why because God's not bound by time and he's not bound by circumstances and if he's going to do it it's as good as already done wow what a consolation So so what's that mean? That means we're in a great spiritual warfare, are we not? We're in a great spiritual struggle. Amen. Not only with the prince and the power of this world. Amen. But within our own flesh. Amen. But if I have given my life to Christ and he is the Lord of my life, I've got good news. We've already won. The battle may not be over, but we've already won. And we can praise him now in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, as if it's already over. What a wonderful thing that we have. What a wonderful consolation that we have. He goes on in these chapters and he talks. Now, here's something really unique in verse number three. He says, thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest. Now, that's a confusing verse because it seems like it's contradicting itself. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. But then it goes on and says, they joy before thee. According to the joy in the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So you're saying, wait a minute, they haven't increased the joy, but then the very next thing you're saying, but here they are joying like men in the harvest. Well, you've got to understand that what Isaiah chapter 9 is talking to now in context is not the day of Isaiah, but the day of Messiah. And so what he's saying is the people in Galilee, in the land of Galilee, when they see the great light, which that, by the way, was predominantly where Christ's ministry, we presume three years, uh, took place. The miracles, the wonders, the signs, all of those things, the teachings, Most, all of that takes place exclusively around uh, the the banks, the shores of, of, of Galilee. And so this is the area that he's talking about. But he's acknowledging something, and that's this. The nation of Israel at this time have not been delivered from their oppressors. They are still under a time of oppression. And so Isaiah's prophecy is giving us fine details to what's going on. In fact, a lot of there, you'll find that some translations have assumed that this is some type of an error, and they go back and they change it. And you can see this in other different versions, even, even uh, the MEV, which is my favorite non uh, KJV version out there. They even do the same where they'll change it and say, You have increased the joy. And they joy before thee according to joy and harvest. But what I believe is, I believe that it's right as we're seeing it here. And what he's saying is you, you multiplied the nations, but you've not increased the joy. You're, they're still under the oppression. They're still going to be under rule because of their sin. But you're bringing all of this about. And in the midst of this oppressed state, you are going to give them a blessing. That is as the spoil divided after war. And they're going to have so much here that Christ is coming. He's going to be doing on your behalf. So Isaiah is speaking even more specific to the time of Messiah. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5. And we talked about this last week. uh, How it meant that the armor of the battle and the garments of the warrior uh, stained with blood, will not be used anymore, will not be needed anymore, and they war will be done away with, and, and it'll be used for f- fuel for the fire. When Christ came, historians call it the period, they call it Pax Romana. It was about a 180-year period, if I'm remembering correctly, when the Roman Empire was ruling that there was no war, a 180-year period where there was no war, and what it did, it allowed this to take place, and it allowed all this, so it didn't mean there wasn't the tragedies and griefs, but this is the time of Messiah, and so now we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 5, or sorry, forgive me, verse number 6, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, and I want us to go through here. Now, he's talked about the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. The land that's afflicted, something awesome is about ready to take place around Galilee. And he starts it off, and look at the very first word, for. For. Because. This is it. This is the reason. This is the reason why they've seen a great light. This is the reason why the joy has come. This is the reason why war has been done away. Here is the reason why the good things are coming about. Now, let's remember The backdrop of this setting, Israel is backslidden. They have rejected God. And yet Isaiah is bringing this wonderful prophecy for, and Isaiah, I can see as Isaiah's writing at this point, I can see he's probably getting excited at this part. When he writes about those dark times and the bad things that are coming, that's probably depressed. But now there's probably a little bit more excitement in his pen as he's scripting this out. For unto us a child is born. Now I love this. In two chapters earlier, he says, he speaks to the king of Judah. And he says, the sign for all the ages is that a virgin shall conceive. It's coming in the future that a virgin shall conceive. This is going to be a supernatural work. And she will bring forth a son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so Isaiah is saying it's a sign for all of the ages to know that God is coming. That peace is going to reign. That righteousness will prevail. That evil will be done away with. That all of this trouble that we're dealing with shall not stand forever. But it's going to be a sign. And when we see that, we know God's doing something great. And so he's excited. And here we are two verses or two chapters later. And now he's not writing in the future tense. But he says... For unto us a child is born. <laughs> Isaiah is getting excited. He's speaking now in the future. He's saying, hey, it's coming. It's coming. And we're worried about all this. But unto us a child is born. God prophesied about a sign and it's coming. I don't know what happened. But somewhere along the line, Isaiah was able To see beyond the backslidden, spiritually deteriorated state of Israel. Of the northern tribes aligning with Syria to conspire, to overthrow their brothers in the south. And the Assyrians are coming to conquer and wipe out most of all of them together. And Isaiah somehow removes himself from this horrible situation in that moment, in the spirit. And all of a sudden he sees something something in the future. And he says, for unto us a child is born. Amen. You know who this is for? This is for the children of God. This is for the people that are still believing. This is for the people that are still holding out. This is for the people that are still getting up every day and walking through a dark and a sick world. Amen. But they're holding on to the promise that unto us, unto me, God's given me a sign. Hallelujah. Isaiah is saying, hey, this isn't just a sign for you in the future. This is a sign for me today. Amen. Unto us, can I tell you, when we read this verse, for unto us a child is born, we can stand in the same place that Isaiah stood. He stood before it happened saying, unto us a child is born. We stand after it happened and we say, unto us a child is born. I don't know if any of us in here are of the blood lineage of the seed of Abraham, amen, but we are children of God, amen. He said, who? The Jew first and also to the Greek, amen, to the Gentile as well, whosoever will, whoever wants to be a believer, amen, in this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Unto you, a child is born. I don't know about you, but that's why I love Christmas. (laughs) Because in the midst of everything, God says, I'm going to give a sign. Right here, I'm giving a sign. Hey, I'm working. I'm doing something. Hallelujah. God's given us a sign. So today, in your despair, today, in your situation, today, in whatever you're dealing with, you can say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God gave a sign. Go back. Look at that sign. Look Look at the historical facts. The people that would deny Christ... As God began to try to deny him as a historical figure, and historically, archaeologically, there's no way they can deny him because the proof stacks up. It adds up. Those that said, well, they just made it up. Men just, you know, they just made that up. Men just conspired together to write all of this down. Well, can I tell you, they didn't even even understand some of the things that they were writing down. And they were writing down things. Who, who else could ever have orchestrated this? Hundreds of years of separation of different men in different eras and different times. Writing down details of Messiah. Yet when Jesus Christ comes, He fulfills every single one of them. This is a sign for us. Can I tell you, if God can work out exact details about this... Can I tell you, don't get worried about the details of your life. Oh, hear me, somebody. You said, why are you worried about tomorrow? God knows every sparrow that falls. God feeds them. God makes preparations from them. He, he, he provides for them. Can I tell you, we don't have to fret about all the stuff in our life when we put our trust in God. Did anyone else see the report that now 79%... Of Americans live under stress did you see that it came out wasn't on the news this week or something saw it on the internet somewhere someone sharing a link and I ran across that 79% I believe it was of Americans now are stressed more than ever and yet our technology was supposed to relieve all of our stress we got microwaves, we got smartphones, we're getting smart cars, we're getting smart everything, and yet it's not relieving the stress. The stress is getting worse and worse and worse. Can I tell you? We we need to stop the stress. And say, "God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to follow your word." Come on, let's let's stop complicating life. Hear me somebody? And just step back for a moment and say, wait a minute. For unto us a child is born. God has given us a promise. He's given us a sign. And So here it is. Unto us a child is born. This is the sign. The virgin birth, uh, Emmanuel, comes. And then he goes on and says, unto us a son is given. Unto us a son is given. I want to... I want to highlight something here, and I'm going to borrow from uh, the uh, Pentecostal Herald, which uh, in, next month is going to change to the Pentecostal Life magazine. We provide this for everyone here at CTK. We make it available. I believe there may be one or two copies left out there. And this past month's issue in December was all about Isaiah 9:6, and they went down through that. Um, and shared some beautiful articles and different things in there. And so I want to highlight one article in here that Brother Reed Out, a friend of mine, uh, an elder friend of mine who pastors in uh, Connecticut, tremendous man, wrote on just this phrase, unto us a son is given. And he highlighted this, and so I'm going to borrow straight from here. And he notes that the two phrases in chapter 6, or chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder are two phrases that go together, but we don't always catch. And so he, he's highlighting a custom among the Jews. Now you could say, well, this is looking deeper into it. It is looking deeper into it. And if you didn't understand this, you could still see the glory of this. But this is one more unfolding. Look at what he says. He said, these two phrases relate in a very special way. When a daughter was born, the women of the house presented a special woven cloth to the daughter's father. The special cloth was commonly called the mizra. It represented the father's responsibility for and his authority over his daughter and was commonly displayed as hanging on the eastern wall of his home, visible for all who were allowed to enter there. And the father would wear the mizrah on his right shoulder during any special occasion in the life of his daughter. And so a father he goes on to explain how a father when he would have a son, when he would have a daughter would go about trying to find a suitable husband for the daughter. In our Western culture, it's something that's very uncommon for us, the arranged marriages. But when you go to other places in the world, they look at us in the West and they think that we are crazy. They think we're absolutely out of our mind. And they don't even comprehend that. And so it was the family business and specifically the responsibility of the father to make sure that his daughter was well cared for and provided for. And so he needed to find a son that came from a respectable family because that would determine how the son was raised, how the son would treat uh, uh, his future wife. And so he would go and try to find the son. And he would try to find. Amen. Someone that's going to take and So sometimes they would arrange marriages even before the children were born. Two families would come together and they would have the arrangements already established. Now in Isaiah and in other parts of scripture, there is commonly used this phrase, the virgin of the daughter of Zion or the daughters of Zion, the innocence of God's people. And so what Brother Readout says here, what Pastor Cliff Readout says here, is that when he says unto us a child is born, we know that, he's referencing the sign, but then he goes on and says, unto us a son is given. He's highlighting this, he says that we are the bride of Christ. We are the children of God, yes. But one way that God describes his people is he describes them as the daughters of Zion. The people of God, in the Hebrew language, the people of God, the children of God, were always referred to, every Hebrew word would have a masculine or a feminine uh, uh, reference there. And they were always referred to in the allegory, if you will, Uh, and I don't like to use that word, but if you will, as, as feminine, as the daughter of Zion, or later on, as the bride of Christ. And so what he's saying is, unto us a son is given. That's this, that you're a part of the children of God. You're the daughter of Zion. God has found you a suitable husband that will take care of you, that will provide for you, that will protect for you, that that, that will be there for you. God has saw it. He saw it out. He has arranged the marriage, if you will, and he says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That word government can also be referred to as the Mizra. And during a special occasion in the daughter's life, the father would pull that out and he would put it. It doesn't say shoulders. It says shoulder, singular. And so he's referring to that and saying, hey, this is for you. The child is born for a sign, but unto us a son is given. Amen. In this allegory, God has saw fit, amen, to complete the relationship between the Messiah and between his people. And when we get to the New Testament, it makes sense because we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride and God has provided the bridegroom. Now one thing beautiful about this phrase is it says unto us a son is given. That means that God provided it. Man didn't provide it. Man didn't create it, man didn't think this up, this wasn't man's idea, but God gave it. God is giving this to you, can I tell you? That's why during Christmas we pause and we give gifts one to another. We give them, amen, I hope we don't put regulations on them. It's it's truly a gift. It's just something of our own free will that we do. Can I tell you, that's what God has done. He is giving us the gift of securing our future, of making sure that we are well cared for. I don't know about you, but that gives me more faith to put my trust in the Lord. I don't have to worry about what's happening. God has already secured our future. Oh, hear me today. That means that in the face of sickness, in hard times, when you're walking through and the doctor says, hey, I don't know if there's anything we can do for you. You you may have to just serve this one out on your own, ride this out on your own. You don't have long to live. Those are difficult things, amen. But in our spirit, we can know, hey, my body may not last forever, but God has already secured my future. That's why we have faith in Christ. That's why we put our hope in Christ. As it was said today at the funeral I was attending, if we hope in this life only, Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope, our future is beyond this life. It's in the afterlife. This is, as someone said, the dressing room. Amen. For the eternal stage that we will be entered into. Amen. Thank God unto us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That word government, we're going to see it later on. Power, ruler, authority. And then he goes, and his name shall be called. Now he uses the word singular, and his name shall be called. He is highlighting here, Isaiah is highlighting the significance of the name. And he's going to give us some titles here, and he's going to give us some descriptions here. But... The name, we know that the name, amen, was Jesus. And I talked about that Sunday morning, preached about that Sunday morning. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. There's a beautiful article in this magazine, the same edition, this issue by the general superintendent, David K. Bernard, and he writes on the significance of the name. Or no, rather, he writes on the name of God. And he goes in here and he talks about the different names in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've heard Yahweh and Jehovah. And he goes through and he explains all these things. And then he describes why we use the term translated uh, into our English Jesus today. But literally the name of Jesus was Jehovah is our Savior. When we say hallelujah, That Yah at the end was a abbreviated uh, part of the word of what we would say Jehovah or Yahweh, that beginning there. And we are literally saying, when we say hallelujah, we are literally saying praise Jehovah, praise I am. Praise the one that is self-existent, the eternal one. And Jesus is the name, amen, that is above every other name. Because That's the name that says Jesus is Jehovah or Yahweh is my Savior. So significant. So we know that that's the name that's that's highly exalted. That's the name the angel told Joseph you will give to the child. That's the name, amen, that Paul or rather Peter says in Acts chapter 4. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name among men. Amen, under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm not saved if I just say, hey, he's a good God. He's an eternal God. I'm not saved until I confess him as Jehovah is my Savior. So it's not just the verbal speaking of the name. It's the revelation of the name in my life. You get that? It's taking on the name. Hey, I'm putting my trust in the name of Jesus Christ. See, you can call a doctor or a doctor all you want. But you may know doctors, you say, hey, I'm never going to let them work on me. So it doesn't matter what you call them. It matters where you're putting your trust in them. When you, when you need a doctor, you go to the doctor, you say, hey, Doctor. It's more than just a title. That's more than just that's more than just a conversation thing. I am now placing my life in the hands of a physician that can heal me. I am entrusting. I am giving him authority to be that doctor in my life. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. You can call him Jesus all you want, but until he becomes the savior of your life, Amen. That's why when we baptize, amen, that is a that is an open confession of our faith, but that is a declaration saying, hey, I am putting my life in Christ. I am burying this old man, Andrew's burying this old man, and I am being born again, amen, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I call the name of Jesus Christ is called upon me, The name of Jesus. And so we know the significance of the name. We'll note that it's singular here, just like it is. In Matthew 28 and 19, when he says, go, Jesus has baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They walk out of there. What did they do? They baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, how disobedient. Were they disobedient? No, they weren't disobedient. They had a better revelation and understanding than most of us today. And they knew that the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost was Jesus. So they baptized in the name of Jesus. So he highlights here in this passage, even though he doesn't speak it, he highlights here the significance of the name. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so I hasten on. Wonderful Counselor. Now, in the KJV, there's a comma there between Wonderful and Counselor. Doesn't make a whole amount of difference because the definitions still come through. But many say that, uh, uh, to, the, to the best suspect that maybe that was four names given and that wonderful counselor was a conjunction that, or uh, an adjective, word that went together, name that went together. But either way, it has the same thing. Wonderful, meaning that he is the God of wonder. He is the God that is inspiring wonder. And can I tell you, you don't hang around God very long and all of a sudden you, you're, you're like, Wow. Can I tell you, when Isaiah writes it down, it says his name shall be called Wonderful. Can I remind you that in chapter 2, was it chapter 2 or no, chapter 6 of this same book, just four chapters earlier, he said, in the year that King Udiah's I, he said, I I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. (laughs) Ha ha. He said, I was in the presence of God. I saw the glory of the Lord. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean. I'm undone. Whoa, wow. Look at how awesome God. is. look at how insignificant I am. Can I tell you, when you really encounter God, you will walk away saying, wow, wow, what an awesome God. What an amazing God. You know what this world needs? They need a revelation of God. They need an encounter of God. Inspiring encounter of God. Wonderful. Counselor. He's counselor. What do you mean by counselor? Well... He is is our great advisor. He is the greatest advisor in the universe. He He is the wisdom of all wisdom. But can I tell you this? He is the one of perfect thought and he is the one of perfect will from whom comes the perfect law. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. So why would I not want to live according to his ways? This is what Isaiah is saying. Hey, he's the wonderful counselor. You want the best life? You want your best life now? Don't live it the way you want it. Live it the way he wants it. Live it the way he says because he's going to help you. He's going to give you the fast track to joy, to peace. See, we, 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 we're out there like, like gerbils on the spin wheel in the cage. Aren't we? Come on. And we're running like Crazy. I'm going to get that, that ever elusive happiness is right before our face. I saw a great video today, I'm, I'm, I'm not on Facebook as you know, but somebody sent me a link today and so I pulled it up and I was able to see the video there, and so so for those of you on Facebook, you got to see it, and somebody, a church I believe had made a video of being grateful for Christmas time. And and uh, maybe I can get somebody to share it on our, on our private group page there, the church, and and uh, the, the man wakes up, <clears throat> and uh, he, he's in bed, and he's totally wrapped in wrapping paper. And he wakes up, and, he, and he, you know, he, he's, he's got this, ah, oh, no way, oh my goodness, I'm alive. And he pulls the wrapping paper, you know what I'm talking about. He pulls the wrapping paper off of his face, and his wife sits up, she's totally wrapped in wrapping paper, pulls the wrapping paper off of her face. I'm alive. His little children walk into, the, into, their, into their room. And, and he looks, hey, and he pulls the wrapping paper off of them. You're alive. And he, and he goes in and, <clears throat> and he puts his shoes on. They're totally covered in wrapping paper. Look at these was- shoes. <clears throat> he walks down to the kitchen table and there's a box. And he, whoa, there's, there's a gift. And he opens it up and there's food. And then his son gives him a briefcase, totally wrapped in wrapping paper. And he said, what, you mean I have a job? And then his daughter gives him another stocking and he opens Keys. up. Keys? You mean, what's this for? You mean I have a car? He goes, he goes outside, and there's his car totally wrapped in wrapping paper, at, completely covered. And his wife says, hold on, honey. And she goes out and gives him a, a, a coffee mug totally wrapped in wrapping paper. And he said, what's this? And he pokes a hole in the top and drinks coffee, coffee. And it closes out, and it says, this Christmas, why don't we try being grateful for the things that we have? Can I tell you, we are blessed with life. That's the first thing. But can I tell you, you know how many people in the world don't, do not have a home, do not have a good meal every morning, do not have a job. We're, what we're, the things we're dreading are the things that other people are so desperate for. And we're, we're like that gerbil on the wheel. We're not satisfied. We're not content. Got to have more, 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 more. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. And it's ever elusive right there. Can I tell you, you let go of all that stuff this year. Bring your children around a little bit more. And say, hey, I'm blessed with something right here. I'm, I'm blessed with things right here. This is, this is all we need here. And thank God for what he's given us. He's our counselor. Amen. Amen. He is the mighty God. This is an interesting thing. and We talked about this a little bit. I've got to hasten on. The mighty God. He is the God hero or the, the God of battles. Now, this was, this was interesting because this was new for the Israelites. He is the mighty God. And you can look at the article that David Norris wrote in there. It's a wonderful thing. I'll, I'll skip past that uh, in, in, this, in that same issue. Uh, but beautiful thing about him being the God of battles. Can I tell you, he's the God that will fight your battles. Every one of us, I think, have been at a place somewhere where, hey, I can't fight this on my own. I need some supernatural strength to come. Can I tell you, he is the God of battles. I'm thankful. Anybody in here testify that he is a mighty God? Come on. He can still go to war over sickness. He can still go to war over despair. He can still go to war over sins and addictions and afflictions in our life. Thank God for him being the mighty God. But if you look at this verse right here, and we would just highlight a couple words, Unto us, go all the way down, God. Well, guess what? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Unto us, God, God with us. This is what Isaiah was saying. Messiah is God. He is Yahweh, Jehovah. Come down, live with us. Now, David Norris highlights some interesting thing that when if you ask the question, What did Jews think about Jesus? He says, you would have to to qualify and say which Jews because they had different thoughts based on different things. Some some, uh, groups thought that there would be two parts of Messiah, that there'd be two different individuals. Other groups thought that he'd come back as somebody who who would overthrow the Romans. Other groups thought that he'd be a heavenly being. But yet Jesus came back less than what some thought and more than what others thought, but he made no mistake about it. That came back as the mighty God manifest in the flesh. Amen. He goes on and he says he's the everlasting Father. Now I told you he was wonderful. You know how wonderful he is? He's a child and yet he's the eternal Father. You wrap your brain around that. Come on. He's wonderful. Wow. Whoa. Doesn't mean that you can't comprehend it. You can comprehend it. We, we spent seven weeks this past fall in our absolute series talking about this. The, he is the absolute eternal God. Manifest in the flesh. He is the God that is transcendent. The God that is above. The God that is beyond. Right? He's the everlasting Father. Now, you could say that, that that should be eternal because eternity has no ending, no beginning. Everlasting has a, has a starting point, but it has no ending. Everlasting from this point forward. But the Bible uses that word different ways. It says everlasting as in from here to, to eternity, infinity, infinite, there's no ending. But they also say from here all the way back. From everlasting, it says To everlasting. He's the eternal one. He's God without beginning, and he's God without ending. Can I tell you, when Jesus appeared to John, the revelator, he says, I am he, the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending. He's the everlasting father. I'll highlight this real quick. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. He said, you could, you could also translate it that he is father of the terminus. And I won't read through everything that he has. But he says, what is the terminus? The terminus is that which is beyond the vanishing point. That means you can travel into, into space, time, matter. And you're going to get to a place where there's a vanishing point And God's beyond that. And so he's, he's beyond the even farthest thought that you can think. You go as far as you want. He's even beyond that. So he's the father of the terminus. He's, he's beyond. He is the one that is abiding both as to time and to space. He's beyond all of that. He is the everlasting father. And yet he found a way to come down and to relate with finite humanity like you and me. He's the everlasting father, the absolute God with us. And if you want to know more about that, Amen. You can go back to our absolute series. And finally, he is the Prince of Peace. He may be the mighty God, but he, the God of battles, but he's the God that brings peace, everlasting peace. And can I tell you, he's bringing peace someday. There will be war no more. Go to verse 7. <clears throat> of the increase of his government and his peace. And peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now here we have a prophecy that still continues, that is not over, that is not finished, that has not been fulfilled. Of the increase of his government, And peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And we know it's not all done. The story's not over yet. There's still war. There's still sickness. There's still disease. There's still despair. There's still iniquity. There's still evil, gross darkness in this world. But Christ is coming as the Prince of Peace, and He will abolish evil and sin and iniquity. He will do away with it once and for all. He will take it and cast it into utter darkness. There will come a day where all is peace forevermore. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm living for. That's what you're living for. That's the only hope that we have. And Christ said it, and so we can trust in Him. This verse is given to us, yet fulfilled. And then in verse number 8 through 21, look at what he says. And he goes on right here. It says, The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and he hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the Habits of Samaria say in the pride and stoutness of the heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Isaiah says this, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin, that was the king of Syria, against them, to join his enemies together, the Syrians below, before and the Philistines behind. They shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away. But his hand is stretched out still. And here's the interesting thing. We lift from these pages the beautiful story of the promise of what Christ is going to bring. Everlasting peace. But it is given in a context of gross darkness, hopelessness and despair, of utter rebellion and rejection against God. So much so, That when God sent his man to the king of Judah to say, God wants you to ask of him a sign that God can prove himself, that he's going to work on your behalf. The king of Judah did not want to give God glory, and he rejected God's opportunity to work in his life. That was how far they had slipped. So Isaiah goes on through the remaining passages, and he's going, you you can read through these verses, and, and he's going to say, You're going to be overthrown. You're going to be taken. God is going to remove His hand of protection. He's going to allow things, horrible things, to come upon the people of God, the so-called people of God, the so-called children of God in name, but not in voice, not in action, not in love, not in relationship, not in obedience. He said these things are going to be torn down. These these things are going to be done away with, and, and this is what you're going to be left with. He said, for the people turneth not to him that smiteth him. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them. Neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail. Brush, branch and rush. And one day the ancient and the honorable. He is the head and the prophet that teaches lies. He is the tail. And he says there's prophets that are lying. There's, there's leaders that won't lead you in the paths of God. And this is where you're at. And he goes on. And he goes back to prophesying their doom. And their destruction and, and, and the place that their choices will lead them for the leaders of the people cause them to err. And they are led of them that are destroyed. The people are destroyed in their heart and their spirit and their mind and their soul. They are destroyed and they're leading the rest of the nation down that way. These are the people that in the last chapter God told Isaiah, Isaiah, do not walk in their way. Here they go. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall he have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For every one is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. That's the hand of the judgment of the Lord. That God is bringing about judgment because they methodically rejected every promise, every blessing, every Gift that God would give to them for wickedness burneth as fire and it shall devour devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest and they shall mount up like the lifting of the smoke through the wrath. The Lord of hosts is the land darkened and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. Here's how bad he says it's going to come. He shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry and he shall eat on the left hand and they shall not be satisfied and they shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. He said that men will turn against his own brother. They'll eat one another. They'll devour one another. Ephraim, he says. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh. They're going to eat one another. They're going to devour one another and feed upon one another. They together shall be against Judah for all this. His anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Right? In the middle of his prophecy of everlasting peace and promise, God says, because you will not partake the judgment of God. Can I tell you, when we refuse the blessings of God, all that we are left with is the judgment of God. When we deny the blessing of God's grace and God's mercy, all we are left is is to place ourselves in the judgment of God. Can I tell you, he's given us grace. He's given us mercy. He's made himself known to us. He's given us every gift. And if we push against that and we fight against that and God keeps striving with us and we say, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go where you want me to go. I'm not going to live how you want me to live. We set ourselves up to stand before the judgment of God. And can I tell you, no man shall stand before him. He is the God of battles. He is the mighty God. But in the midst of this, Isaiah says there's a sign for the ages. And here's the sign. The sign is that of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. God is going to march on. His rule, His reign shall live on. His authority is is not going to be diminished. And His peace shall stand. It shall last forevermore. And your rejection of it does not deny the fact that it's going to happen. That's what He's saying to the people of that day. You can mark God off. You can reject God. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Can I tell you? God is going to have a people. God is going to reign in righteousness. Evil and iniquity will be done away with. And our rejection of that will not stop it from happening. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. He gave us a sign. What was the sign? The whole reason that God started giving future predictions was so that people would listen to what he says. Here's the sign. When you see the sign, this is supernatural. If a virgin conceives, (laughs) you know it's a God thing. And if that can happen, you better pay attention and listen up to what's going on. Here's the sign. Isaiah gave a lot of signs. I won't list all of them. But if I was to summarize all of the prophecies that Isaiah gave, the ones just in the three chapters that we're dealing with, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, Judah, he said, would be saved from the threatening Syrian and Israelite invasion. That happened. Syria and Israel would later be destroyed by Assyria. That happened. Assyria would invade Judah. That would happen. Those were all prophecies that were fulfilled during Isaiah's lifetime. There were prophecies, there was a whole list of prophecies fulfilled after Isaiah's lifetime. The Babylonian captivity, overthrown, the decree of the Medes and the Persians, all of that stuff, the conquest of them, all that stuff, the, 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 that they would overthrow Babylon, all that stuff was prophesied. But in the chapters that we were reading, one of the things he said would happen would be the birth, the eternal life, suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. All of those things he prophesied, those were fulfilled after his life. He also prophesied of the ministry of the forerunner of John the Baptist. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He prophesied later on, make the crooked path straight. I am God who makes the crooked path straight. And so John would come, and he would fulfill that after his lifetime. But can I tell you, one of the most powerful things about the book of Isaiah is that even today in 2017, there are things that Isaiah prophesied that have yet to come to pass. Folks, that's why we better wake up and we better pay attention because Isaiah prophesied that there would be coming a time upon this earth, he said, of great tribulation of such as the world has never known. When you see that time coming, when you see these things happening, you know it's a sign, hey, that your redemption draweth nigh. He also prophesied the battle of Armageddon. I've been there. I drove through the valley of Megiddo. I saw it's not a massive valley, but wow, the expanse thereof. And yet the Bible says that the blood will run because of the war. The blood will run to the height of the horse's bridle. What, I have to ask, in this technologically advanced day would cause men of this era to ever resort back to, number one, using horses? What catastrophe, what, what has to happen for that to happen? You say, well, maybe you're taking the word literally. Well, here's the thing. I'll give room. Maybe, maybe they won't have horses and it'll just be the height of the horse's bridle. But you know what I'm seeing is that every detail that's prophesied is being specifically fulfilled and the horse's bridle. What in our day and age of drones and all this stuff? How bad does it have to be that men say, hey, we've got an advantage to get out on horses, and how much blood has to run for them to find it running to the horse's bridle? That's that's yet to come. And then there will be a thousand-year period of reign of peace of Christ when he comes back to this earth the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is coming back to this earth. It was prophesied and it has not happened yet. You do know that, right? That we're not, we, we we do have to pay attention to what's going on. There are, there are things to be won. There are things to be lost yet in our life. This is not the time just to put it on autopilot and hope we make the right decision. No, we've got to be diligent. We've got to be looking. We've got to be waiting. And when the Lord comes back, the Bible says that he will come back to the same place that he ascended off of this earth from. And that is the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem. And when he comes back, You know what? There's going to be another sign. The Bible says that the Mount of Olives is going to be rolled back. It will split in two. Now, I have never seen a mountain split in two, but I can promise you this. Every Bible believer, every scripture holder, every Jew, every uh, uh, person that is still looking for Messiah, when he comes back and splits that mountain, they're not going to be wondering who he is. They're going to know, hey, I think this is him. He's here. He's come back. Emmanuel is not just a sign for Isaiah. It wasn't just a sign, amen, at the nativity. But it's a sign for all the ages. And if God did what he said he would do, then that means he's going to do what he said he will yet do. When he comes back, he's going to reign in peace. He's going to reign in authority. He's going to reign in power. And everything that's evil and everything that's wicked, it shall come down. I want to be ready. I want to be on the Lord's side. I don't want to be in a position where I reject God. Come on, you know what? Sometimes we walk around in fear and afraid. God's not wanting us to be in fear and trembling and concern. He's saying, I'm giving you a gift. He walked to the evil king Ahaz, and he said, you ask of me a sign, and I'll prove myself to you. That was how gracious and merciful God is. And So you could be living with dark sin right now tonight in your own life. God's saying tonight, you ask of me a sign and I'll give it to you. Can I tell you, he's already given us a sign. He's already given us a sign. You have no excuse for why you are not yet living for God. Can I say that again? I have no excuse for why I'm not yet living for God. You have no excuse because God has given us a sign. And if we reject the grace and the mercy of God, then we are left to stand In the judgment of God. Of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Stand together with me. Upon the throne of David. And upon his kingdom. To order it. And to establish it with judgment. And with justice from henceforth. Forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Will perform this. I promise you this. God's going to keep his word. That's why I love Christmas because Christmas brings so much prophecy together. And there's no way that anybody could have made this stuff up, folks. Hey. So I can trust God. I can trust God with my life. I can trust God today. I can I can speak amen as if my future is already finished. <laughs> Even though I've yet got battles to fight, I've still got things to endure. Paul said it this way, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I stayed the course. He wasn't even done yet according to tradition. He would be perhaps beheaded by the emperor Nero, but he was already declaring, hey, I've done it. The end's in sight. You know what? I've given my life. He was so committed to the Lord that he knew it's as good as over. I finished the race. I've done it. I've won. I'm victorious. I've finished. Can I tell you, we can stand victorious tonight because of the grace and the mercy of God. For unto us, can we go back and let's say it together. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, can we clap our hands <laughs> unto the Lord tonight? What an